Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You can choose to fill your day in one of a hundred ways. Every single day, you're always going to be presented with a multitude of choices in terms of where you focus your time, your energy, your thought processes. And I just was blessed that I had some very strong mentors early in my career that pushed me really hard to continually ask myself, is this the most meaningful work that I can do? Is this the best use of my time? I had people tell me that all of our careers at any company that you're working at is finite. You're not going to work at a company for 50 years. This just doesn't happen anymore. So if you look at your time at a company as a blessing and as finite nature, then ask yourself for the time that I am going to be here, what do I want to be remembered for? What will make the biggest difference? Where will I see the most growth? Where will I get the most personal satisfaction from? And when you start asking those questions and you think in those terms, it, it guides you towards focusing on big, challenging, meaningful pieces of work that ultimately you will feel a deep sense of satisfaction and a deep sense of accomplishment working on. Hello and welcome to another episode of Inside Out. My name is Billy Samoa Salibi and I'm your host. Through interviews and case studies, I examine how transformational insights have helped propel the lives and careers of exceptionally successful people. These major breakthrough moments teach valuable lessons that will help us in business and in life. Today's guest is Ben Putterman, a learning and talent development leader with over 20 years of experience enhancing personal and organizational performance in multiple industries. I first met Ben when I transitioned from SolarCity to Tesla, where he led the global learning and development team, Tesla Academy. He is currently head of global sales enablement and readiness for LinkedIn. Throughout his career, Ben has been committed to the belief that any business only goes as far as its people will take it, and that people in the right conditions with the right support can accomplish amazing things. On the show, we learn what type of job he feels everyone should have at some point in their career, why leadership, people, and culture matter as much as they do, what is the first job of any leader, and what lessons he learned early in his career when he worked for best-selling author of Multipliers, Liz Wiseman. He also shares the five key areas that he and his leadership team focuses on to reach optimal performance, why he believes in always assuming positive intent, what are the skills critical to advancing your career, how self-awareness is the cornerstone of learning, and how letting go of being a micromanager will set you free. This show is full of insights like these and others, so let's get into the conversation with Ben Putterman on another episode of Inside Out.
Ben Putterman, so excited to have you on Inside Out. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you, Billy. It's so great to see you again, my friend. Well, I really want to get into it because you and I had the opportunity to work together at Tesla. And I just got to say, first and foremost, thank you for being the incredible leader that you are. You and I had the opportunity to first meet over lunch when I was at Solar City and you were leading the training org at Tesla. And I think we just hit it off immediately. We're sort of kindred spirits. I think we really, at least for me, I saw a lot of me and you and vice versa. And our relationships just flourished from there. To, to get started, Ben, I really want people to hear your story. You have had an incredible journey in the talent development and the L&D space, and you've worked for some remarkable, game-changing type of companies. And it doesn't stop where you're at right now, which is LinkedIn, but prior to that, where we met at Tesla. Take us back to your, your early days and go back as far even before Oracle, if it's something that you feel is valuable to share. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not quite so sure how valuable, but yeah, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a, a step-by-step. Graduated from high school. I was a super like, you know, weird kind of punk rock kid when I graduated from high school, which had a huge bearing on on where I went to university, went to the University of Santa Cruz or University of California at Santa Cruz, which really had a, a really profound impact on me and studied international relations as my major and theater arts is my minor. The reason that I am plugging this is that uh, I would say that uh, in a lot of ways that theater arts minor was one of the more valuable things to help set me up for sort of down the road future career successes that I've had. When I was finished at Santa Cruz, wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do, but was pretty sure that I wanted to go work public sector and went and did a master's degree thinking that I actually would work in government and help mediate the relationship between employers and, and employees. I felt that there was a lot of disconnect that was happening between employers and employees. And I felt that I could make a major impact on that equation working for government uh, until I actually started my grad degree and and really quickly came to the realization that would have been the worst, (laughs) worst idea ever for me. At least you figured it out early. Yeah, something like that. Something like that. Yeah. And by the time I was done with my graduate degree, which was in industrial and labor relations, I had, by that point, I knew that I wanted to move back to the Bay Area. I was from the Bay Area. Most of my family and friends were from the Bay Area. So unlike a lot of people that I went to school with that were getting really great job offers by major companies, but they were job offers that required them to travel a lot and to live in other parts of the country, I made the decision that being close to family and friends was actually more important than the than the job decision at that point and came back to, uh, came back to the Bay Area. When I came back here, it was a, really the beginning of the first major, major tech boom. And at that point, I started off in at Oracle, as you mentioned. Oracle was actually a fantastic experience for me. I felt like I got my on-the-job global MBA from Oracle, and I met some very, very talented, incredible human beings there, one of them which I'll reference in a minute. I started off in talent acquisition, actually doing recruiting, which was kind of fun. It's actually really close to sales, and I actually enjoy sales. So that was actually a lot of fun to start in university recruiting. And then maybe six months in, I, I had you know one of many very sort of serendipitous moments that happened to me that helped shape my career. There was a gentleman that had worked at Oracle for a long time, was kind of a legend, but a little bit odd. And he walked by my desk one day and stopped and looked at me and said, hey, you know what? You're not going to be working in this department anymore. And I literally thought I got fired. I was like, oh man, I'm only six months in. What'd I do? Like, <laughs> I thought I was firing. And I went and spoke to him and said, you know, can could I ask you for a little more information? And he looked at me like it was a crazy question. And I was like, well, just kind of actually want to know, what do you mean when you say I'm not working here anymore? And he said, oh, 
I only meant that I know another group that you should go work with, and it's called the uh, HR Development and Communications Group, but it's not really important what group it is. What's important is that it's got the team that works on that team are really, really smart people. That's like the smartest team, and the woman that runs it is really, really smart, and I think that you're going to like her a lot. And so I said, all right. So I went over and and met with the group and the woman that he was referring to that I would end up working for for the next nine and a half years was Liz Wiseman of Multiplier's fame, uh, as well as many other notable uh, accomplishments. And Liz quickly became and still is to this day uh, very much one of my dearest friends. Uh, She has always been a mentor to me, a friend to me. And in many ways, I like to joke with her. She's a a little bit like my big sister as well. So that's kind of the, the Oracle story. And then from there, and you kind of alluded to it, but that was the the beginning of my career after doing quite a big stint in tech. I got super burned out on it. Tech can be kind of an intense industry to work on, wanted something really different and decided I wanted to go work for a company based on culture. And at that point, went to go work for The Gap here in San Francisco and learned retail, which was an amazing experience for any of you that have never worked retail before. Everybody should do it at some point in their career. It'll teach you about customer experience, customer service, operational discipline, lots of great people in retail. So I went and worked there for quite a while. Uh, At Oracle, I had ran all of their internal training by the time that I left. So that was partner training, technical training, sales training, management, leadership, kind of the whole spectrum. Went over to The Gap to run their L&D, talent management, and a couple other pieces in their global Banana Republic brand. Again, worked with some really, really wonderful people there, which we can talk about later. And then after Gap, with a couple brief stints in between, uh, had the lucky opportunity to go work at Tesla, where Billy, as you know, I started offering their sales readiness function and then added in service, as well as uh, then starting to work on the solar city side, where I got the amazing opportunity to learn a little bit about the uh, energy and solar business from you, Billy, which was amazing. And then by the time I left Tesla, I ran all of the uh, learning function and some of their talent management functions. Uh, and that was all prior to where I am today, which is at LinkedIn. Amazing. Yeah. And your your story is fascinating to me because you, you, you have a knack for aligning yourself with truly incredible people. Liz Wiseman obviously has such a phenomenal reputation and is a thought leader that many people look to. And I am so grateful for the opportunity that I had to hear her speak thanks to you when she came to speak to Tesla. Another person who you had come speak to the group was a guy named David Rock. And I haven't told you this story yet, but David Rock had such an impact on me and and influenced me creating this show. One of the things he shared was the power of insights. Mm -hmm. And so when we think of learning, one of the best ways to learn is to help people have more insights, to be able to look inward and to really understand something in a much more deep and meaningful way than maybe they would have otherwise. As you look back on your life, and you've already highlighted some of them, what are those impactful moments that have had a really pivotal impact on your career? Yeah, it's a great question. There's a lot of ways probably, Billy, that I could probably go down or ways that I could answer this question, but I'll I'll sort of riff a little bit on on the theme that you're bringing up. I have found in my career that as trite or cliched, perhaps as this sounds, that leadership, people, and culture matter. And I've always made my career decisions based on uh, on those criteria. I've never based it off title, money, necessarily overall organizational name or reputation. But again, being just clear with myself that where I tend to find my energy 
is around cultures that excite me, people that are decent and smart, and leaders that I can learn from and work with. And I haven't always understood this. It's not like somehow I was magically sort of like understood these things about the world. Some of it, you know, this this word serendipity or luck, and I really do feel there's some sort of almost like master plan out in that universe that that pushes you in certain ways, even though you don't really realize at the time exactly what you do or why you do it. And if you just trust in yourself and trust surrounding yourself with great people, really great things tend to happen. And as I've gotten a little bit more experienced and a little bit older in my career, all of this has become much more codified for me. It's become much more clear to me. Uh, but yeah, these these the insights and discoveries work with great people, work at great cultures. One of the things that you just sparked as you were talking is this notion of connecting with the leadership within an organization and the monumental impact that can have on your own career, whether it be your ability to perform the job that you're in at that moment, or it lead you to another job. You said when you're at Oracle, somebody came to you and said, oh yeah, you're not going to be working here anymore. And you're actually <laughs> kind of worried you lost your job. But in actuality, that person saw something in you. They saw your strengths. They saw what you were good at. And they aligned you with somebody that they felt you would have a connection with and would really help both and be a mutual win-win, help, help her, but also her be able to help you. Mm-hmm. Another thing that stands out from the time you and I spent together was you have very specific expectations of your team that you outline in a very clear way. And I'm just going to share a few of them. <laughs> and I see, yeah, it's funny, it's funny to, to say it that way, but there are things like stakeholder management and along with that client management, strategic agility, being operationally sound, having domain expertise and continually uh, developing that domain expertise and then team effectiveness. And so these sort of themes are these core tenets of what you expect out of your team. It really helped me understand what was most important and help direct the, mm-hmm. the way in which I went about my job. Curious mm-hmm. how you developed those and maybe if you could share a little bit more in detail what, what each of those mean to you. Yeah. And thank you so much, Billy, for uh, for sticking with me on that. For people that have worked with me for a while, they they probably hear a little bit more about that than they would ever care to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I think, I think in a lot of ways that it's very easy to overthink or overcomplicate leadership and, and good reason for that. It's a complex job description. It's a complex thought around leadership. But if I was sort of boiling down leadership at, at, at its essence to me, I really do believe that the first job of any leader is to provide clarity to people. I think that above all things, it's almost like some version of kind of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. There there is this really base sort of food and shelter need that people have to just have clarity, clarity on their role, clarity on what you're looking for, clarity on what good looks like. Just want some sort of a predictable, communicated set of principles that can help guide them. I understand if I go this way, good things. If I go that way, maybe not such good things. And so I've always been trying, and I'm far from perfect. I still work on it uh, as, as much as I can. There's a lot of improvement uh, room for me on this one. But on this question of clarity, the five things that you're talking about has just been a distillation of work that I've been doing now over the last 20 years. And so it, it does come down into the way that I judge or look at or talk about performance, not just for people who work for me, but uh, also for myself. It's my own self-rating system. It's not somehow different for me than it is for others. And it, and it is in those five areas. So the, the first one that you reference, and I always start with, is domain expertise. You have to know something. 
like come to the table with some level of expertise in some area, preferably, by the way, in areas that I don't have. I love working with people that have deep domain expertise in areas that I don't. So I often tell you know people, managers that are new in their career, don't be intimidated by hiring people that know a whole hell of a lot more than you do in whatever their area of domain expertise is. The other piece that you pulled up, Billy, which I do very, very, very much agree with is that is not a static conversation. You've got to be investing in yourself every single year that you are adding to your domain expertise. You're either going into new adjacent areas or you're going deeper into an area, but everybody in today's world has an obligation to continue to work on that domain expertise. Second one is around team effectiveness, and it is what it is. Being a great manager, being a great leader to your people, as well as being a great peer are all really, really important. And I probably won't go too too deep into that one. There's probably a lot uh, on, on that one. But at its core, be predictable, provide clarity, be a decent human being, and strive for excellence. That's that's kind of what you're looking at on that one. The third one is around stakeholder management. And, you know, Bill, you know that you and I and the team have had so many conversations around this and actually have gotten very, very specific about the way we do this. But for all of us that are out there that work in for-profit businesses but don't actually hold a quota or a number ourselves, uh, you have to find a way of, of being accountable to results and and having your own version of an internal customer, what we call a stakeholder management. And we've done so much work together, you and I, on all the different ways that that's done. Some of them are very formal ways, but some of the most powerful ways to stay close and manage your stakeholders is through very human, informal ways. Uh, and and that's really, really important. And a shout out to you, Billy, you're unbelievably good uh, at that client management and at that stakeholder management. But yeah, it's really important. And you don't do that willy nilly. You have an actual plan and an actual set of steps and steps that you take to make sure that you are uh, tight and, and, and well aligned with your stakeholder and their expectations. The fourth one is around strategic agility. There's a lot that you and I could put into this one, but this is really the ability to see around the corner, to anticipate where things are going as best you can, to have a point of view on what you want the next year, two years, five years to look like. So that's that strategic agility piece. And then the last one on, on, on the operational discipline or operational excellence, this is an interesting one for you and I. There's a lot of people that are in the learning space, like the two of us, where this is one where you actually can come up against people that struggle with this one. They like to think kind of big picture. They do really well on that strategic agility, but they lose some of their energy when it comes down into the more tactical kind of operational piece. And yet, if you're not operationally sound, and if you can't land that plane, then all those beautiful thoughts and strategies that you have really don't amount to much. So over the years, I would say that, you know, when I first started my career, probably not my strongest suit. But over the years, I've developed a really, really deep appreciation for the elegance and the beauty of a really well thought out plan that's executed really well. So yeah, those those are those those five big buckets for me. And again, Billy, thanks for sitting through with me. You know, you've heard those things one too many times. But they're so powerful. Thank you for sharing. And I know the audience will appreciate it too. You shared a binism just a minute ago. And I don't know where you got this from, but I certainly got it from you, which is the ability to land the plane. Maybe explain what you mean by that. <laughs> yeah, you kind of the, the plane is all your big thoughts and all your strategies. But what you got to do to to land the plane is to actually be able to bring the ideas down to the ground level and get people safely. Plane is safely landed. People are off the plane. You are on time, and you got people where they needed to go. Yeah, at the end of the day, execution matters, and you could have the greatest ideas in the world, but until you've actually implemented and executed those ideas. 
in a way that has a meaningful impact, those ideas mean nothing until that happens. <laughs> That's right. Another Benism, and we'll shift gears for a moment here, is this idea of assuming positive intent. Mm. I love this concept. It's not only changed me in my professional career, it's changed me in my life. Mm. I love this notion. When did that insight come to you? And talk a little bit about what it means. Yeah, you know, it came to me earlier in in my career. It was kind of at the the sort of the wild, crazy days of that first kind of dot com tech boom, and it would you know tech back then was a really intense place to work, and you had really smart people trying to do really big things, but it could get really crunchy with people really quickly. And what I found is that I found myself that when I was having a difficult interactions with another person or my relationship with that person wasn't as good as it was, what I would find is, is that, you know, with, with a lack of understanding of really who that person was, it was very easy for me to kind of make things up in my own mind and assume that they said something for a specific reason or they did or didn't do something for a specific reason. And it, it was real. What I realized, it actually was starting more on the side of when I was going into relationships, assuming that there was negative intent and making those things up, then it almost became a self-fulfilling prophecy for me. And when I would look at relationships that never got better... I had to like first ask myself whether I was giving ever giving that person what started for me, give them the benefit of the doubt. And over the years, it's just evolved for me. And, and you know, Billy, I mean, here's, here's what I really believe. Are there sort of quote unquote, like proverbial bad people out there in the world? Sure, there are. They're out there. But in, in my opinion, in my experience, they're actually, it's actually a relatively small number of people comparatively or relatively to the world's population. I really do believe that most human beings want to do the right thing, want to be decent human beings. I think most of the people that we come across from work, even if they're doing something that we might not like or that we might not agree with, it's unlikely that their starting point was to do something we didn't like. In their minds, they really believed that they were doing the right thing. They believed that they were doing something that they were being asked to do, perhaps, or that they were doing something that was significant and meaningful, whatever it was. And it made it a heck of a lot easier for me to sit down and have the right conversations with people and develop the right relationships when I had a starting point that said, I'm just going to start with the point that I assume that your intent is positive. Can we have a conversation? And it's never let me down as a principal. Yeah. And like I said, it's something that I've used both professionally and personally. And I think it just helps me understand that the motive, generally speaking, is not bad. They're doing it for what they intend are the right reasons. And their execution, delivery, their approach may not have come across that way, but that's life, right? We don't always do the things or act in the way that we necessarily intend. And just remember that if somebody says or does something that rubs you the wrong way, mm-hmm. it's probably not meant to do that. And then if it is, I think taking that high road and not uh, allowing yourself to get kind of immersed in that negativity is, That's a, right. is, a, smart, is a smart way to approach it. Well, another thing that kind of rings in my ears as I think of Ben Putterman is this ideal of doing meaningful work. And it's been a guiding light throughout your career. You've aligned yourself with, as I said, disruptive incredible companies. And throughout each of your journeys, throughout these you know, opportunities that you've had in your work, you've always focused on not only you doing meaningful work, but also those that work with you, helping them do meaningful work. Talk a little bit about what that means to you. Yeah, this is, this is a, yeah, it's a, this is a big one. And I'm trying to think about Billy, what's the, what would be the sort of clearest way to articulate this one? I think that I was blessed with 
some very early mentors, some very early people in my career that had that really meaningful imprint experience on me very, very early in my career. And what they in, impressed upon me is, you know, on, on, and you, you can choose to fill your day in one of a hundred ways every single day. You're always going to be presented with a multitude of choices in terms of where you focus your time, your energy, your thought processes. And I just was blessed that I had some very strong mentors early in my career that pushed me really hard to continually ask myself, is this the most meaningful work that I can do? Is this the best use of my time? I had people tell me that all of our careers at any company that you're working at is finite. You're not going to work at a company for 50 years. Uh, this just doesn't happen anymore. So if you look at your time at a company as a blessing and as finite in nature, then ask yourself, for the time that I am going to be here, what do I want to be remembered for? What will make the biggest difference? Where will I see the most growth? Where will I get the most personal satisfaction from? And when you start asking those questions and you think in those terms, it, it guides you towards focusing on big, challenging, meaningful pieces of work that ultimately you will feel a deep sense of satisfaction and a deep sense of accomplishment working on. And I do take this one fairly seriously. I write yearly goals for myself that are my kind of meaningful work goals uh, for the year. So I don't just randomly talk about this. This is something that I'm actually very deliberate uh, about and I focus on. Do you take New Year's resolutions really seriously? <laughs> Much more serious than your average bear. And my New Year's resolutions for my career, it always begins with, with the heading of meaningful work for the year. And that's where I sort of orchestrate and, and write out my intentionality for meaningful work. I love it. And a golden nugget that you had in there is do something that you're great at, something where you want to leave your mark. And that comes with this ability to have an awareness of yourself. What is your gift and how can you apply that gift for the betterment of the project, the organization that you're a part of? I think that's just a powerful notion to keep in mind as you are spending this scarce resource that we have, mm. our time, it's our most precious commodity. That's right. If we're not doing something that's meaningful and special, we won't have the passion, we won't care as much, and we won't deliver to the degree that we would if we really you know, channeled all that in the right direction. One of the things that you shared, it was a training that you and I both had a small session that we did where we presented to, I think it was an HR audience. And I don't even remember what I talked about. I do remember what you talked about. And it was five skills that will help someone advance in their career. And I may be misquoting the title and I don't know how clearly you remember it, but I can tell you that one of the things that stands out to me was the ability to speak in public is, is one of those five skills. Wondering, as you think, the audience that's listening to this show, they're somebody in a professional role that wants to advance their career. It's a leader who is helping their team drive to the highest level of success. It's an entrepreneur or another business leader taking their company to the next level. What are those skills or traits or characteristics that you think are most valuable to help one keep escalating and, and developing themselves? Yeah, there's a, I mean, there's a couple different ways that, that I can answer this. I think that I remember what you're speaking to. But for those of you that have not met me before, I tend to be, I read a lot. I am an avaracious reader of all kinds of uh, important and not so important information, but I collect lots of information from lots of places. And there's been a lot on career advancement. And I think that what you're referring to is something, a, a longstanding study, and I'm sorry, I can't remember the exact source, but I was, I was very interested in, in the findings about sort of 
some of the things that are most highly correlated with with upward career progression. Now, that doesn't mean success. You can be successful in many, many different ways. And, and, and I can certainly share some of my own opinions about where success comes from. But some of the, the, the specific pieces that were uh, in this research study that you and I were talking about, some of them were very, made a lot of sense. And some of them were just a little bit odd to me, which is probably why it caught my attention. So the some of the skills that, that they had talked about is the first one, which I found very interesting, was actually something I'm not good at. So it kind of scared me a little bit, which is the ability to remember people's names. And it's this little teeny micro skill that actually there's quite a bit of research that actually talks about just how important it is. And if you really think about it, it actually makes sense. You know, there's a lot written about what employee engagement is, and you could really overcomplicate the heck out of it. But at its most simple, employee engagement is a function of attention. Somebody needs to know that somebody's actually paying attention to them. And that really is, at its most simple, what drives engagement, attention to their work, attention to their career, attention to their aspirations, who they are, but someone's paying attention to them. So if you think about like remembering somebody's name, what better sign is there than somebody that you meet and they walk back up to you and they see you for the second time and they say, hey, Billy, nice to see you again. How are you? And so there's a lot of research about it's a function of somebody feeling like you're paying attention to them. And so this is not one that I'm particularly good at. And I've tried all the different ways to get better at it, but at least I'm cognizant of that importance. So it's one of those kind of outlier skills. Then some of the others that you're referring to, which I think are a little bit more not obvious, but ones that would make more sense to people, the importance of communication skills and particularly verbal communication skills. Uh, There is an enormous difference between written and verbal communication skills and just how important it is to be a good communicator. doesn't mean necessarily that you have to be a public speaker, although a lot of times it can show up there. And it doesn't necessarily mean you need to be loud and cheerleady, but it does mean that you need to be a compelling uh, and articulate verbal communicator, which which is one that you and I have talked a lot about, Billy. A couple of the other ones that probably wouldn't surprise people, uh, similar to communication skills is influencing skills. And there really is both an art and a science to how you influence people. So for anybody that's uh, listening to this podcast and has interest, it really would be an area that I would push a lot of people into actually taking a little time to read about what that means to say becoming good at influencing others. There really is a discipline and a practice behind that. And then the last one, which is also a little bit of an odd one, but I found to be uh, very interesting is the, I, I used to characterize it as speed reading, but it's not really accurate. What it really is, is the ability to absorb lots of information from lots of different sources and and glean out what is most important and most relevant. So it's really the ability to take in a lot of information and synthesize quickly. So those were some of the the skills that you and I uh, had talked about. And I think all of them, Billy, you know, honestly, I think all of them are really important for career success. If I was going to throw a couple of my own on top of that, there's probably a couple at the end of the day, people want to work with other people who they feel have a sense of optimism, a sense of uh, possibility, people that are, are are generally optimistic or positive about future direction and what's possible. Uh, I do believe that that's true. It doesn't, again, mean you need to be a cheerleader, but I really do think that that matters. I think self-awareness is the cornerstone of learning. I think all learning is derived through self-awareness. So that obviously would be an, an enormous one for me as well. And then, you know, I'll go on the cliched side of things. It's maybe related to a little bit about the optimism, but it's a little bit different, uh, which is just don't be a jerk. You know, just don't treat people badly. (laughs) There's no reason for that. There would be my kind of off top my head tips on that. 
Yeah, the no jerk policy is definitely one that I remember very clearly being <laughs> something that you followed. And Ben, your reputation, for those that don't know you or haven't worked for you, I'll just share with, with the audience that's in that bucket. Your reputation is absolutely sterling. It's incredible. And I know that your reputation, it's not only with the people that work with and for you, it's the people that either you report to or they're stakeholders that you develop relationships with. And it's something that you're masterful at building those, those relationships that mean something. But I'm going to talk first about the people that work for you. And that is one thing that stood out to me is that you never micromanaged anyone that worked for you. And you touched on a few things during this session, one of which is the importance of expectations, which I couldn't agree more how vastly important that is. It's not only setting the right expectations, but it's also you have high expectations. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about, for those that maybe slant or do have the tendency to maybe micromanage a little bit more than they should, what advice would you have for that kind of leader and how to maybe avoid that pitfall? Well, my friend, that's, that's a big one. You know what? I'll tell you something. I mean, two things. Learning to let go of being a micromanager, it'll set you free. So anybody that's listening to this, that is not a path that you want to go down to, go down. So for yourself, there's not a lot of upside for a human being managing other human beings like that. So whatever you think that you're getting out of it, I would actually make the argument the cost is way too high. Learn to let go. It'll it'll, it'll set you free. And that's just on, on the manager side. I feel that like I've been blessed with some really good uh, direct managers, some, some really good people that I've worked with over the past that have showed me the right way to do this. And I think that when people first start in management, I do think that you get a tendency towards micromanagement or you can when you first start. And I think that really, you know, if you're coming from a good place, the, the reason for this really gets rooted in that when you first started managing people, whether you realize it or not, you have a point of view about what the perfect employee is in your own mind. And the perfect employee in your own mind is you. And so without realizing it, you're what's perfect. You're the standard. That's how things should be done. And so then when you start to see things that people might not do it the same way, there's an inclination to want to lean in and be like, no, like I want to get into the detail, micromanage it. And what I really want to do is show you how I want do it. And what you, you know, sort of realize when you've been managing people for a while is it's not where the best performance comes from. You're not the best employee. There's 20,000 different ways that somebody could be getting great results. And everybody has their own styles. They have their own uh, brilliance and their own abilities. And if you really want to really drive amazing performance, it is by giving people really high, clear standards, and then giving them the space and the trust to bring their brilliance to the table, to bring that to life for you. And it's, it's never, it's never steered me wrong um, you know, uh, if I went back to Liz Wiseman, she talks about this in her multipliers book, you know, something that can help you with this. If you're having a hard time letting go, there's a concept she calls kind of size the wave. She's talking about sort of a child being playing in the surf in the ocean and you're seeing a wave coming in and you're looking at the size of it and you're thinking like, okay, is that thing going to like big enough that it's going to briefly knock my child down and probably teach him a good lesson? Or is that thing actually scary and I actually really do need to get get up and go grab that kid out of the water? Right. And it, it's not so much that your employees are kids, but you know, a lot of times the stuff that you want to get involved in a micromanage, if you really sized the size of that wave, it's not big enough. And if they're going to fall down and skin their knees a little bit, there's a lot of goodness that will come out of that. So resist that temptation, trust in people's brilliance. Uh, it'll set you free. I love it. Well, in a minute, we're going to get into the lightning round, which will be our uh, <laughs> end, end of the show. Before we do, 
the question I originally had is, is who are your role models? But I, I mean, I know who one of your greatest mentors and role models is, which is Liz Wiseman. You've talked about some of those things, but if you could boil down or crystallize some of the things that have been most impactful to you when you think about her, the role that she's had on, in your life, what are those things? Like, what did she teach you? I've learned so many things from from so many people. I mean, I could have used you as an example, Billy. There's there's certainly things that I've that I've learned from you. I mean, I think I think from Liz, uh, you know, more than more than anything, is this concept of everybody has genius, and it's okay to ask people to bring the very best version of themselves to work, to bring that genius to work every day. And she she did a just a wonderful job of believing in me and showing me how not to be a micromanager and how to really look for the the brilliance and the genius in others. That's, I mean, many things I could cite, but if I had to cite one above all, I would probably choose that. Yeah. And I think when you play to people's strengths and you understand what their genius is, you're going to maximize and optimize their performance at the highest level. That's so right. let's get into the lightning round. This is a quick hitting session. I'm going to give you an emotional moment or a situation and you just give me your gut reaction. So the first question is what excites you? Seeing small little examples of beauty every day in the world. Love it. What scares you? Failing health of loved ones. What surprises you? What human beings are capable of. It's incredible. Okay, if you feel comfortable sharing, this is a weird one. When was the last time you cried and why? Oh, two weeks ago, give or take, dealing with health and cycle of life, mortality of people I love. Yeah, Uh, I can understand that. You know, I heard you once answer this question in another instance. I'm curious how you answer it today because I was shocked by the answer you gave before. But what book have you recommended more than any other book and why? (laughs) <laughs> I don't remember what answer I gave. Well, you it was earlier. a little different question, but you, you, the, 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 it was a it was a book on Genghis Khan. Oh, is what you is what you were reading at the time. But I, I'm curious. <laughs> it was another podcast, and it was uh, it was a great answer. It was very intriguing. But but what book have you recommended more than any other book? Wow, I I would almost have I read a lot. I'd almost have to break that down into what kind of what category uh, of of book uh, that you're talking about. You know what? For today, I'll answer it from a business book perspective, and I'll only answer it because I've been working with some some young folks that I'm uh, mentoring right now, and they're asking for kind of that seminal business business book that I would recommend given where they're at in their careers. And I found myself for the last couple of weeks recommending uh, Good to Great multiple mm-hmm. times. Yeah, you you really can't can't beat that one. So that's that's a great recommendation. Yeah. Okay. Who is the most inspirational person in your life and why? Oh, oh, probably family. I don't know that it's a single person. It could be either of my sons. It could certainly be my partner and it could certainly be my parents. Uh, there's a lot of amazing inspirational people in my life. It's not surprising that you would say your parents and, and your family, because I think generally speaking, when I meet people like you, it, it often doesn't surprise me when their family is also amazing. <laughs> So if you could spend an hour with anyone living or dead, who would it be and why? Oh, it would have to be from an ancient blood ancestor of mine. Like I would love to know who my great, 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 great grandmother or grandfather was on either side of my family and just listen to their oral history about their life and what they had to overcome and who they were. That would be amazing. I love that answer. I have not heard that before, but that's a fascinating take on, on how to discover more about yourself. I'd be curious to, <laughs> if the mannerisms are the same. Or yeah, other right, little, right, little right, idiosyncrasies. right, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so if you had the chance, what would you tell your 20-year-old self? Oh, trust yourself more. Trust your voice. Trust your genius. Boy, that's what I would say is just, is just to trust yourself more. Great advice. Okay, 
you know, we've learned a lot about you on this show today. What may surprise the listener that we haven't yet covered about Ben Putterman? Oh my God. I mean, I don't know. When I was in high school, I was like super punk rock kid. Never thought I was going to go to college. Never thought I was going to do any of this. And all this crazy stuff that I did when I was younger, I can look back on it now and then see how it informed me as a human being and be like, look at what might've been looked at as a mistake way earlier in my life. And now I look at it as amazing and awesome and help contribute to to who I am today. Well, the son of educators also became an educator, but, but, but in the corporate life, which <laughs> we both had that conversation, we didn't know we'd end up in, in the corporate realm, yeah. but you've absolutely dominated. Ben, the last question I'm going to ask you is, what else would you like to share with the audience that listens to this show that just wants to get better, wants to improve in their career and their business or in life? What would be some some last uh, words of wisdom? And I know you're going to say, I don't know if it'll be words of wisdom, but what, what else would you like to share? <laughs> you know me too well. You know what? There's There's a lot of fear out there in the world today. There's just a lot of messiness and fear and divisiveness out there. Make a choice to not be a part of that. This is, it's, we live short lives. Like let's be there for each other and help each other out. And I'm sorry if I'm being so boxy, but I think we all have an obligation to try and bring goodness into the world because there just doesn't seem like there's enough of it sometimes. Yes, absolutely agree. And I I think that's a great guiding light and, and way to think about how we carry ourselves matter, what we do with our time matters. And Let's do uh, things that will build people up, make the world a better place, and feel great when we look back at the legacy we leave. Um, Mm -hmm. Ben Putterman, thank you for your time. Thank you for being on Inside Out. Greatly appreciate it. (laughs) And thank you for being a mentor and a friend. And and I just so deeply value our friendship. And I'm so excited to share this with the world. Billy, I thank the world of you. Thank you so much. And uh, you know how much it's meant to me to be able to see your face today and connect with you. I look forward to doing great work with you again, my friend. Thank you for listening to this episode of Insight Out. I hope you enjoyed the show and I really hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in your career, in your business, or in your life. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate the show on your favorite podcast platform. This is extremely helpful and I can't tell you how much I would appreciate it. Also, if you haven't checked out our website yet, you can find us on the interweb at insightoutshow.com. On the site, you'll find tons of great content, including all of our podcast episodes, videos, blog posts, and the all-important link to support this show through Patreon. If you're not familiar with Patreon, it's an amazing platform that helps creators gain the support they need to continue creating. And remember, your next life-changing breakthrough moment may happen when you least expect it. Insight out.